You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. I have Dr. Brandon Milholland. Uh, he was at the uh, Department of Genetics in the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, but he's got some new and exciting work that he's uh, he's working on. So, uh, Dr. Milholland, thanks for coming. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. So tell me, um, you know, since working at uh, the Albert Einstein College, what what's the latest and greatest that you're working on right now? Well, uh, mostly I've, I've transitioned into industry now, so I'm doing consulting for pharmaceutical companies. Uh, but I still have an interest in longevity overall. So I've written an article for the Wall Street Journal that came out a few months ago, uh, kind of just summarizing the current debate um, and my position on it, which is that there does right now appear to be a limit to human lifespan. I'm also working on a book on the subject along with uh, Jan Weich and Xiao Dong, who I did the paper with at Einstein a couple of years ago about sort of the, uh, well, kind of sort of the history of aging and longevity, how it increased during the Industrial Revolution and why it's come to a stop now, and how we might potentially try to uh, restart the increase in longevity. Hey, you know, I think a lot of people have heard anecdotally that the average age that people live to for, I don't know, for most of humanity was like 30 years old. Is that accurate or is that a misstatement to say that? Well, that's a good um, that's a good question. So there's, I would say that's a fairly accurate assessment. Now, of course, when you're looking back tens of thousands of years, it becomes a bit difficult to say how exactly long everybody was living. Also, an important part of that was um, infant mortality. So you could say that, sure, the average life expectancy at birth was 30 years, but evidence seems to suggest that if you made it to 18, you'd probably make it to 50 or 60 years, but most people didn't make it to 18. Um, so that's the tricky part right there. Oh, so infant mortality like dragged down the average? Yeah, it was that way for a very long time. Basically from, you know, prehistoric times until the mid to late 1800s, most children would not reach adulthood. I think this is important because, you know, if if you think – or if someone thinks the average age was 30, then you think, hmm, you know, in your mind, you automatically think, oh, they probably had kids when they were like 15, and then they were old, you know, grandparents at 30, and then they died. But that's not true at all. They probably looked and aged, I guess, the same way as we do now. It's just that, you know, the ones that made it did that, but the ones that didn't make it, you know, they didn't make it. Is that a more accurate assessment? Uh, yes, I think so. What do you think it looked like uh, for people, you know, hundreds of years ago at age, you know, 30 and 40 and 50 and 60? Um, what were the major differences then, you know, that 
again, a lot of people never made it past childhood, but what do you imagine people were like? Did they, did, I mean, did very few get to 50 or 60 or 70 or it was the same distribution as now? Like, what do you imagine it was like? So the distribution would have been a bit lower. So even if you just restrict yourself to the adult population, I don't think you would see quite as many people making it to 80, for example. But in general, somebody who would make it to 20, they could expect for to live a few more decades longer. Now, of course, that's barring a lot of other things like war, famine, you know, an epidemic. Those kinds of things were happening and sort of acutely, you know, uh, increasing mortality. But then in terms of most people even today, they don't need major medical intervention until maybe they're in their 60s and they can usually get by until then. Now, of course, it's nice that when somebody is in their 60s or their 70s and they start to have heart problems or they develop cancer, now we have technology and we can extend their life for that extra 10 or 20 years. And back then, that wasn't an option. But it still didn't mean that if you were 20, you only had a decade left. If you were 20, you could probably look at several decades. So what is your premise or what is your realization? Has lifespan changed really at all in the past you know, thousand or so years or what? What do you see as the landscape? Well, when the lifespan, we have to think about what we mean when we talk about lifespan, because a lot of people kind of use the term and they don't think too much about how they're using it and what context they're using. And usually that's okay because people know what they mean. But sometimes if somebody uses it in a certain way and somebody else uses it in a different way, there can be a misunderstanding and, and people get upset that, oh, you said lifespan was doing this, but I think it's doing that. And it's actually, you're both maybe right, but you're talking about different definitions of lifespan. So the first one, we might talk about life expectancy. So that would be, you can talk about life expectancy at birth, as we've covered. So if somebody is born, and let's say it's in the past, in the distant past, somebody's born and they have only a 10% chance of making it to adulthood, then you kind of have to use that to weigh their chances of making it to age 70. It's, it's, they're basically... Uh, the life expectancy is, is very small. Well, maybe they have more than a 10% chance of making profit, but they would have a very small chance of making it past 30, for example. But then you take life expectancy at a given age. So life expectancy at 20, maybe they would have 30 years there. Life expectancy at 80, maybe they would have five years. Nowadays, life expectancy at birth is like 70 years. Life expectancy at 20, maybe 60 years. Life expectancy at 80, maybe seven or eight years, depending on lifestyle factors and other um, environmental variables and also genetic variables as well. So there's life expectancy like that. Then there's lifespan. And you could think of lifespan as how long could the very longest lived person reasonably expect to live to? Now, I think there's a misconception that when people talk about the maximum lifespan, they mean an age beyond which there is a 0% chance of surviving, like 0.000 absolutely no chance. And most biologists don't actually think there's anything like that, because how could you ever be so certain of that? Um, Biology is just so complex, and no matter how much you study it, there's always so many exceptions and things that you can't take into account, and there's always so much chance that you can never say 100% that people are going to die at this age or that age. Now, you can say at a certain point that the chances of surviving past this age are so small that we should probably just call this the limit. And maybe you could say it should be a one in a thousand, it should be one in 10,000, it should be one in a million or whatever. But at a certain point, you've got to draw the line. 
So we had said, okay, well, what are the odds of somebody surviving past 125? And that came out to be about 1 in 10,000. Now, when I say 1 in 10,000, doesn't mean 1 in 10,000 people, but it means with the population as it is, if it just kept going, only 1 in every 10,000 years would we expect to see somebody live past 125. And, you know, human civilization as we know it is less than 10,000 years old, so probably that's a pretty good uh, place to draw the line. You know, maybe some people might be interested in what's the 50-50 chance, and it looks like about maybe 115. So the oldest person will probably be older than 115 years, about half the time, and only fluctuate around that. There's a bit of a margin of error around that. Maybe it'll fluctuate around 116 or 117 or 114, but it looks like it's kind of plateaued. So then there's another thing. So there's this sort of limit of what's the upper limit we can reasonably expect. And we can also talk about sort of what's the limit over time. So it used to be that it was almost unheard of for somebody to live to be over 100. And it's hard to say exactly because whenever you go to the ancient records, you get things where they say, this guy lived to be 200, this guy lived to be 300. Those just seem impossible. And then you have more reasonable things where they talk about people in their 80s and 90s, but then they sometimes even in the same document talk about somebody who lived to be 170 or 180, and you don't know what to believe. But sort of from industrial times when we had reliable records, there wasn't many people over 100. Then there wasn't really anybody over 110. Now we have several people aged over 110, but only one person has ever lived to be over 120 years old. And nobody's ever uh, lived more than 122. And so it looks like that itself, that limit, it might have been going up where you can say, all right, the limit used to be 110 and now it's going up to 115 or whatever, but now it's kind of hit its plateau and that is not going up right now. Yeah, I guess the the oldest person ever documented was, was Jean-Marie Calumet. She lived to be like 122 and a half, right? Yes. So, um, why do you think there's this apparent limit of 125 and, you know, I don't know, I guess say more about, uh, about aging itself. You know, what, why is there this limit? Why, is, why do things seem to peter out at that level and the chances get so small of living beyond it? And, you know, what are the implications that you're finding in all your work, research and work? Yeah. So what we found was, uh, you know, the first thing, and it's not, um, you know, super novel is that, a lot of the improvements were coming at younger ages. So in the industrial time, of course, improving the chance of living to 18 from being 50% to being now greater than 99.9% um, has contributed a lot to the rise in life expectancy and then to some extent in lifespan because we're just having more people reach adulthood, more people reach old age, more people reach age 100 and so forth. And then we're seeing more recently in the 20th century improvements even at old ages to some extent but those improvements start to sort of decline after age 100. So if you think of, you know, the chance of reaching age 100 is going up, and then the chance of reaching age 101 is also going up, but it's going up less quickly. And the age of chance of reaching age 102 is going up even less quickly than that. So it's kind of like a, a line going up over time, but it becomes less and less steep. And by the time you get to age 110, that appears to be almost completely flat. And if we look at, in fact, the life expectancy of supercentenarians, so we look at the life expectancy of people who are already 110 years old, how long do they have left to live? It's about a year and a half. And that has not changed at all since the late 1960s. So um, it appears that there's sort of this, uh, we've improved a lot at the younger ages and even kind of at the moderate old ages, but at the extreme old ages, there's less and less improvement until there's none at all. And kind of our 
hypothesis of why that is is that a lot of medical research is focusing on treating one disease at a time. So there's be one drug and it treats cancer, one drug and it treats uh, heart disease, or one surgical procedure or whatever. And that works great for a lot of things, and it'll give you a few more years of life. In the case of like a small pack vaccine, it has amazing dividends, and that's um, that's great. But with aging, it appears that everything is starting to fall apart. And so just fixing one thing doesn't help. So now at this point, a lot of people say, oh, if we cured cancer, and a lot of people think about curing cancer as being the holy grail, but they say if we cured cancer, probably it wouldn't extend life expectancy that much, maybe by five years, 10 years or so. But a lot of the people who would have died of cancer who don't die now because they cured cancer, they would die relatively soon anyway because they had heart disease or they had Alzheimer's or they had other ages, uh, other diseases of old age um, that would result in their death fairly soon anyway, even if it wasn't for the cancer. So because of that, it seems like a lot of the improvements are starting to peter out and we've begun to exhaust all the benefits that we've reaped from the Industrial Revolution. So instead of just fighting disease, it sounds like mm-hmm. we have to understand aging itself and either counteract some or all of the um, the reasons why we age or find ways to, um, I guess, you know, uh, wind back the clock literally on all the things that are happening on the cellular level in order to extend lifespan, right? Or what's your purpose? Yes, I think, yes, our best hope for extending lifespan would be to strike at the very root causes of aging itself. Well, how complicated is that? I mean, I just recently read an article saying there seems to be like nine different pathways, at least, of aging. Um, can you summarize at least some or maybe all of the main factors that you've seen that are associated with aging? And, you know, again, what is science doing? Is it, again, a tack- tackling one by one, or uh, do we need to tackle all of them? So, uh, you know, I know it's a complex question, but what are all those, the ways in which we age, apparently, to you? What if you could learn about the ketogenic diet and metabolic therapy from the world's top scientists, physicians, and influencers? and a four-day experience co-hosted by Dr. Dominic D'Agostino, who's been on the Tim Ferriss podcast in Los Angeles, California, January 31st to February 3rd, 2019. If you want to hear about the latest scientific evidence on nutrition and metabolism and its potential to treat disease, increase longevity, improve athletic performance, and yes, help with weight loss, Metabolic Health Summit is for you. Some of the speakers include Dominic D'Agostino, PhD, Mark Sisson, Suzanne Ryan of Keto Karma, Thomas Seyfried, uh, who studies metabolism and cancer, Aubrey Marcus, Georgia Ede, MD, Matt and Mega of Keto Connect, and many, many more speakers. At this conference, we're going to dive into the research and learn how to apply it during real-world applications with four days of presentations. There'll be nightly receptions with keto-friendly drinks and appetizers. There'll be a scientific poster session that includes the latest research on ketosis, human optimization, and more. And there'll be new innovative products at the Metabolic Health Summit Keto Expo. You'll get to network with some of the world's most brilliant minds at the Metabolic Health Summit VIP Mixer and Gala Dinner. For physicians, this activity is jointly provided by Cedars-Sinai Medical Center and the Metabolic Health Initiative. Cedar sinai is accredited by ACCME to provide continu- continuing medical education for physicians. Earn up to 21 and a half AMA PRA Category 1 credits by attending. If you're a registered dietitian, 
This event has received prior approval by the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics for 18 CPEs. Visit metabolichealthsummit.com or click on the banner and get your tickets before they're gone because it's coming soon. Remember, it's in Los Angeles, California, January 31st to February 3rd, 2019. We are only weeks away. This is a must-not-miss seminar. Can you list them? Wow. Uh, well, Aubrey de Grey only says there's seven, so he might be uh, surprised to hear there's nine. Sometimes it depends on how you want to divide them exactly. So you can talk about one thing that I was studying uh, with Jan, and he's still studying, is somatic mutation. So, you know, probably the, the textbook uh, <clears throat> summary of genetic information is that all the cells in your body have exactly the same DNA. And that's mostly true, but if you think about it, get 37 trillion cells in your body and you're telling me that they made 37 trillion copies and they they didn't make a mistake once they got to make a couple of mistakes so there's some mutations within within individual cells and those are called somatic mutations from soma meaning the body in, in greek and so as these somatic mutations accumulate and it looks like depending on the cell types you could have dozens or hundreds or thousands depending on your age but as these somatic mutations accumulate uh, they begin to reduce the functionality of the cells. So the cells can't do their jobs as well, and that should show up as aging. And that is, in my opinion, of course, I study it, so I'm a little bit biased, one of the best candidates for the root causes of aging, since it's something that would affect, um, affect all the cell types, and it's very much at the base. Because if your DNA gets messed up, you know, the RNA is messed up, the proteins are messed up, um, everything that comes after is not so good anymore. Now, that's not the only mechanism of aging. It seems like even in the absence of genetic alterations, you could have things like proteins misfolding and then accumulating. And some um, some people, most people, but there's some dissent think that these accumulated misfolded proteins are one of the things that contribute to Alzheimer's, but they can also contribute to other things. You could also have a situation where certain stem cell populations become depleted um, and then the tissue can't heal as well or regenerate as well. So there's lots of tissue homeostasis. So there's several different mechanisms of aging um, that can be potentially causing multiple diseases in multiple different systems. And that is, those are some of the things that we should be focusing on, in my opinion, if we want to defeat aging. Well, out of these things, um, do you have an overview of what science is doing right now? Is it focusing on all of them? Is it pretty much bent upon one and the others are being ignored? Do people, you know, does science even know for the most part, or is it just the realm of a few people that know even all seven or nine signals? So what do you see out there when you look on the landscape of aging research? Well, I think that most aging researchers are aware of the multiple different types of aging. They may not disagree on which ones are important, and they may not disagree on, you know, on terms of the numbering. You know, some say that, okay, if you want to consider uh, genetic and epigenetic as one uh, thing together, or if you want to separate them out, there's different ways of dividing them. But I think most people who are studying in the area have a general idea of, of the different types of things that are accumulating with age that may contribute with age, not that they all agree with them. So a lot of people say that the telomeres um, getting shorter at the ends of the DNA, eventually when those um, get worn away, that that would cause aging because the cells can't divide anymore. I personally don't think that telomeres are the limiting factor in humans for a couple of reasons. First of all, human stem cells will regenerate their telomeres, so it's not such a problem there. Then you have mice, which have extremely long telomeres, 
and are constantly regenerating the telomeres in all of their cells, and mice live a very short time. So they get all kinds of telomeres, and it's not doing them very much good. Uh, for us humans, we have probably, I would say, just the right amount of telomeres because you don't want all of your cells continuously to be getting long telomeres since depletion of telomeres is an important anti-cancer mechanism. So I don't think that improving telomere regeneration in humans uh, would be very helpful in terms of extending lifespan. Of course, there are many different groups who disagree with that and are studying telomeres and trying to see if they can extend them in humans. And um, I don't know if they're making much progress, but they're interested in that as a mechanism of aging in humans. So in terms of um, studying it, I think there is also a lot of basic research to be done. So if you have these sort of basic disagreements, <clears throat> these fundamental disagreements about what are the different mechanisms, you have to kind of know what you're going to target um, so that you can target it. And it may be a combination of things. So I don't think that it's just somatic mutation. I don't think it's just protein aggregation. I think it's multiple things in combination. And we're going to probably need some sort of hybrid approach eventually to combat aging. So even though we're trying to strike at the root cause, it might not be one root cause. It might be two or three or several. In terms of you know products to uh, fight aging, it's still very um, a very beginning field. So there are some trials using rapamycin in people and a few other compounds. And those have done well in mice and in other model organisms. They might help in humans, but we'll have to see. Well, it, if there's, you know, multiple different pathways of aging, it doesn't mm -hmm. sound like one drug or one protocol, one method will work. It seems like you'd have to attack it on multiple fronts, I would guess, right? I mean, so what do you, you know, in your mind, is there an idealized protocol for anti-aging, even if it's not fully understood? But have you developed that in your mind? You know, if you could do the ideal, what would it look like to prevent aging? I guess the, the thing that comes closest to ideal for me would be if you could go and take the cells. And this is like science fiction, you know, a little bit kind of based in fact, but actually doing this is a very advanced level of technology and biology that I don't think we quite have yet. But if you could take the cells from a person and grow them in culture and make sure that they're genetically normal. So you look at them for mutations, you get rid of any bad mutations you might find, and that might include not only just cancer-causing mutations, but any mutations that would impede its functionality in terms of doing whatever it needs to do. And then if you could go and seed the stem cell populations within their body with these sort of refurbished cells where you've corrected any problems with the DNA, I think that would solve not only any depletions of stem cell populations, but would solve any problems with mutations within the cells as well. Now, doing that is a lot easier said than done. There might be other things like accumulation of um, plaque in the arteries. Now, that's just not a cellular thing. It's just kind of junk that accumulates over time. And you know, there's a little bit of stuff where people get stents or whatever to uh, put out their arteries. But I think maybe you know you might have to pay more attention to those sort of extracellular things as well. So. You know, these, these kind of subjects always have great controversy. So what what would you say is the great controversy in, in aging? You know, what are the two sides or multiple sides saying or disagreeing on? Well, there's all kinds of controversies. I mean, one is that we said it looks like that the human lifespan or the maximum human lifespan has stopped increasing. And some people say, oh, it's still going up. And, well, okay, that's a controversy. I disagree with them. They say it's 
some people say it's, it's an artifact because of Jean Calment that she was so high and that nobody's matched her. It kind of looks like it stopped, but it's still going up and she's just an outlier. But we've done the same analysis without Jean Calment in it and it still comes to the same conclusion that it's pretty much leveled off lately. And then there was a paper a few months ago that said it looks like the chance of dying, it goes up. So usually the chance of dying goes up kind of exponentially over time doubles about every eight years or so. So a 68-year-old is twice as likely to die as a 60-year-old, and then a 76-year-old being twice as likely to die as that, and it goes up and up. And they said, well, we studied some very old people, and it looks like it's leveled off at about a 50-50 chance of dying once you reach age 105. So that's unlimited. And to me, that's not a super good definition of unlimited. It'd be like if there was a Batman movie, and Two-Face said, oh, if I toss this coin, I'll destroy Gotham City, if it's heads, but if it's tails, I'll let it live for another day. But then I'll toss the coin again tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. And if Batman said, oh, 50% chance every day, well, that's unlimited. Unlimited lifespan for Gotham City. Well, that, that people wouldn't be too happy with Batman, I feel like. So just because you have a, a constant chance of dying, which is pretty high at 50%, to me, that doesn't mean that it's unlimited. So there's kind of a controversy there, both over, in some sense, the definition of unlimited, and then also, in some sense, over if... Um, how lifespan is improving or not. Then, of course, there's controversies I mentioned about what's causing people's age, such as if it's telomeres, if it's mutations, if it's protein accumulation, if it's something else entirely. Everybody's got their own little theory of aging, and we're going to have to work out and figure out um, how all those little pieces fit together. Then there's also controversies like if it would be a good idea or not for people to live longer. And I think it would be fine. Um, you know, people are worried about overpopulation, but I think people begin to, if you know, there's a lot of people around, they naturally start to have fewer kids and it kind of works itself out. Now, another thing is people say, oh, I wouldn't want to live longer because I'd be miserable the whole time. I'd be so old and decrepit and I'd be pain and suffering the whole time. And I don't think that's an issue because generally living longer also means living healthier. So if you look at people who die when they're 70, generally they started to have diseases when they were 60 or so and their last decade of life isn't so good, and then they die. If you look at people who live to be 100, they're healthy in their 60s. They're healthy in their 70s. They're healthy in their 80s. Now, in their 90s, they start to get diseases, and then they die at about 100 or so. So it seems like the last decade is pretty rough, but whether that last decade is your 60s or your 90s, it doesn't matter, and you're pretty much healthy until you reach that old age. Okay. So you said now you're doing uh, some consulting, you're coming out with an article. Are you consulting in the aging area, or have you moved on to uh, other things? I just kind of moved on to other things. The article is already out. It's in, um, I think, the June 25th issue of Wall Street Journal. Okay. Well, very good. What what do you think is going to be the near-term and then uh, slightly longer-term future of uh, aging research? You know, having worked with some of the the top people in it, is it just going to be a slow progression, or do you, is there any breakthroughs that are seem to be on the horizon? Well, that's a good question. I guess if I knew, <laughs> I would I would uh, I would keep it to myself and buy some stocks or something. But in the near term, I mean, it's it's very uncertain in terms of how sort of the trials that are going on if they'll pan out. If people can successfully target some of these pathways and generate sort of systemic improvements in human health and human longevity, then that would be great but there's no guarantees there. Um, there's kind of a push that for a long time, the FDA is not really recognizing aging as a disease. And so as such, 
Um, nobody really wants to develop a product for it since they won't be able to get it indicated for for aging. Um, now, if that changes and there's one good, successful anti-aging product, I think that would open the doors for a lot of other things. But if it doesn't, then I'm afraid we're going to keep on going slowly. So I'm hoping for a breakthrough. That would be great. I think I want to live longer. A lot of people would like to live longer uh, and to live healthier and just see more stuff and enjoy life more. Uh, but whether or not that happens, I think there's some formidable challenges ahead of us. And part of it is that we just need to start doing things in a different way. This one disease at a time approach has been well and it's served us well for about 150 years or so, but now we're needing to start to focus on multi-disease paradigm of aging. Okay. Well, very good. Well, what are some resources for uh, for listeners? You said one is the article came out um, the Wall Street Journal, June of uh, last year. So yep. what's the title of the article, or how can people find it? Um, yeah, I forgot. It's something like, is there a limit to human lifespan? And it was a yes-no article, so uh, like a point and counterpoint. So I said, yeah, there's a limit. It seems to be about 125. Um, and then uh, another person wrote an article saying no. Uh, I think they'll come up with some breakthroughs that will extend the limit to human lifespan relatively soon. Um so there's that. Um, you know, there's there's a variety of things. So I'll have a book coming out this year. Haven't decided on the title yet, but 2019, I'll have a I'll be co-author of a book about aging research and this whole um, field. There's other things too, like if you're interested about the mechanisms of aging, Aubrey de Grey wrote the book Ending Aging, and there he lays out the seven types of of aging mechanisms for causes of aging, and he kind of lays out how he thinks each one can be addressed. And that's good. It kind of breaks down. Um, and then if you want sort of a more condensed version of that or a more academic version, there's a great article called Hallmarks of Aging, which is in Cell. It was published a few years ago. Now, that one is more academic. So I don't know uh, what kind of audience you have if they're used to reading those articles or not. Um, and you might need a subscription to sell or whatever to get it. But that one is the classic of the field, kind of summarizing the different mechanisms and the research that's been done into them. Well, that's great. Yeah, so I, you those know, I know are some places for further reading. Yeah, I know from experience, you know, the audience is a wide range and it's surprisingly uh, knowledgeable. And, of course, yeah. there are always, always people that don't know. But, uh, yeah, I think people enjoy references that are a challenge and then uh, also simple ones, too. So no problem. Yeah. Well, very good. Um you know, my, my bad joke about aging is that uh, studying it never gets old. So, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the podcast and uh, looking forward to seeing more coming from you, your book. And, uh, yeah, thank Great. you for being here. Thanks. So it was a pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it.
Thank you. Thank you.